0: Smarter Business Finance episode number nine, should you use the direct lender for equipment leasing and financing? Are you a small business owner looking to take your skills to the next level? Interested in getting real information about financing business equipment and business loans? Without the worry of getting scammed, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Smarter Business Finance Podcast with your host, Rob Michalak. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Smarter Business Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Mishloff. And today I thought we would talk a little bit about, well, we're going to do a couple of things. First of all, we're going to talk a little bit about something that that actually it makes me crack up, which is the constant come on that you may see when shopping in the marketplace, either trying to finance equipment or lease equipment for your own business, or when you are looking for a good place to get your customers financed, and and that's whether you should uh, be using a direct lender as opposed to a broker. And we'll talk about that. And then when I'm done talking about that, we're going to go over, well, actually some great questions that I've received from you in emails and also a couple of the funniest emails uh, I've ever seen. So, A lot of times when you're shopping for equipment, you will see the very first thing a person will say to you or will mention in an email or on marketing materials is direct lender. And I've never actually seen any explanation from them, not in writing, as to why that's better. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Why would it be better to work with a direct lender for equipment financing. And the first question is, do direct lenders have better rates for equipment leasing? Because sometimes, in some circumstances, they can. And so in those cases, you may be able to benefit by working with a direct lender. Uh, Because in theory, by cutting out the middleman, and the middleman would be that broker, a direct lender might have lower rates than what you could get elsewhere. And and it makes sense, right? On the surface, that makes total sense. But that kind of assumes that the direct lender isn't actually paying any salespeople because what a broker actually acts as is another sales force for that direct lender. And, you know, there are a few companies that are completely online. Very few, and it's very limited. And theoretically, since a computer does all the selling and it's not actually people, well, it could be possible that those companies don't have sales costs. And in fact, there could be some out there that I don't know of, but in my experience, most of those no interaction with an actual human being for a complex thing like leasing equipment for your business, probably works about as well as outsourcing your customer service to Pakistan. But you know, honestly, I have a horse in the game, right? Don't take my word for it, and don't take the word of anyone else for that matter. In fact, it's super simple, you guys. Go get a quote from a direct lender, or go get a quote from a broker, or. <laughs> Go get quotes from whoever you dang please. And then whatever works best for you, do that. But don't don't let anyone tell you their rates are better because they're direct because that that's just lame. And so the next question is, well, if they may or may not have better rates, well, do they have better programs? Does a direct lender have a better equipment leasing program than what some broker could offer you? And so here's a little secret. Most direct lenders, and particularly a lot of the direct lenders, depending on your situation that you would likely find to be the best solutions for you, you can't even access them directly. They're busy underwriting deals, not dealing with the customer. And and we've touched on this uh, in other episodes, but generally... The folks that make good equipment leasing underwriters do not have the skill set to make good, and underwriters are the folks that decide whether or not a deal can be funded and and what your rate's going to be and other things like that. They don't typically make very good originators, and originators mean the people that you actually interface with when you're looking for an equipment lease. And vice versa, the skill set that it takes to talk to you about an equipment lease and deal with objections and deal with all the different things of all the crybabying you get from some of your customers and trying to explain the rates or what's needed or we need this or that is totally different. And it's very, very rare that you find somebody that has both abilities. In fact, at my company, at Smarter Finance USA, we get a fair amount of business from direct lenders who like us. Uh, We're a broker. in true direct lenders, because they have only their own program, and depending on the type of equipment you're buying, and how old the equipment is, and how long you've been in business, and how much cash flow you have, and all those other things... They may not, any any direct lender may or may not be the best fit for your situation. And for that reason, many of the ethical direct lenders out there will really want for you to find the program that is best for you. And since that may or may not be their program, they're going to, in many cases, send you to work with. Some a, a broker that they feel is honest to help you decide what's really best for your needs. And with that said, if you happen to contact a direct leasing source that happens to specialize in you, meaning specialize in the type of equipment that you like to purchase and uh, and we see that sometimes in, in trucking, where you, you have a large company that literally does nothing but trucking for you know people in some certain credit window. That can sometimes be a better program. Uh, it's rare. It's very, very rare. But they can occasionally have better programs than you could get through a broker. And maybe you could even save money. But Every funding source is going to have, and, and funding source and direct lender I use interchangeably, it means someone who's providing the actual money to get a deal done. Every source for equipment leasing has their own credit window. And so what that means is, let's say you're a AAA credit borrower. You're going to be best served working with a direct lender that specializes, pretty much they'll have the best rates, working with someone that specializes only and really only understands triple a credit borrowers. And then of course, but which one, because some of those triple a companies only do small ticket transactions and small ticket might mean for some companies, it might mean 5,000 to 35,000. There's a lot of companies that will not lend more than $35,000 on a transaction. And then, well, but some of them won't do a $5,000 transaction, but they'll go from $20,000 to $75,000. And then there's other sources that we deal with that only look at deals worth at least $75,000 or $350,000. And similar things are true when you look at any slice of the marketplace, whether it's a, and when I say triple A, I'm talking someone with a 750 plus credit score, five years in business, and strong cash flows. Well, the same thing is going to be true when you look at a C borrower, and that's pretty usually either a startup or someone with, with a challenge credit or a B borrower. And there's all these different little striations, and you'll find that there's little niches that only a broker can get you to that are going to be the absolute best fit based on the equipment you want, your time in business, and your strength as a borrower. And, I I mean, startups, don't even get me started. You got to work with somebody who specializes in startups if you're going to be either financing equipment as a startup or if you're selling equipment and a lot of your customers buying equipments or startup businesses, and you're not going to somebody who specializes in startups. Well, you're not going to be selling very much equipment because none of your stuff's going to get finance. And does this sound like a mess to you? Because it certainly sounds like a mess to me trying to work with one source that says they can do everything like, come on, come on guys. And so now, if you're an equipment vendor or seller or dealer or whatever you want guys call yourself, if you call somebody with only their own program to offer you, your customers are going to get declined a lot in customers that would really be able to get approved elsewhere for financing. Or in some cases, not always, but in some cases, somebody that says, well, we've got a credit window from this to this, and we're a direct lender. If they've got a really wide credit window and they don't really specialize in anything, your customers probably are going to get worse rates than they could get elsewhere. But you know, yeah, go try it. I mean, we've talked to, to a lot of dealers that have tried to work with people that call themselves a direct lender that have one program to offer because they're a true direct lender and yeah, that doesn't really work out. In some limited case, like let's say all your customers look exactly the same, like you only deal with companies that do X amount of revenue and have X amount of time in business and are doing this type of equipment. And I guess it could work. Uh, and I guess in some cases it could be better. But the truth is, unless all your customers look exactly the same, you're going to have a hell of a time selling your equipment, working with a true direct lender. And so let's talk a little bit about what actually, what is a true direct lender? And that brings us to the different types of folks you'll interface with in the marketplace, because some people, depending on who they're talking to, may call themselves a direct lender or what's called a broker or a discounter or a syndicator. And so let's talk about those words and if they mean anything and all that other stuff. Cause now here's another secret for you. Most of the companies that call themselves direct lenders, usually most of the time they aren't even lending their own funds. And that's true. Even if it's their name on the leasing documents and you'll find this a lot. So many companies will use their own money to finance a small portion of the transactions they do and then uh, and not all of them but but this is common you'll see folks that have a number of what they call syndication partners and that's just the fancy word. syndication partners is like a garbage man saying I'm a sanitation engineer. It, it really just means a broker or a, a discounter but it, it means that the, that most of their deals, they're farming out to somebody else anyway and, and not using their own funds or only using their funds for a very short period of time before they get that, that transaction off their books. Now, if you're wondering, this is the word I use, discounter. What, what's a discounter? So a discounter is really, for all intents and purposes, a broker, Although they put their name, a broker won't put his name on the docs. A discounter can put their name on your leasing documents. But the only really special thing about discounting is it means that you make more money. And I mean, there's other responsibilities involved in discounting and, and costs, for that matter, that I'm not going to get into. But the big difference is, so a broker pockets a commission, when they do a deal for you, so if you go you, you lease uh, I don't know some some machines for your laundromat, and the, the for fifty thousand dollars, the broker might pocket what's called five or six points or you know two 000, three thousand dollars or sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on, on the deal and discounters will pocket that same amount of commission as the broker, but here's the difference: they will also pocket you know typically you'll be asked for a first and last payment and the discounter will pocket that first and last payment and in fact here's where the word discounter comes from they sell what's called and i'm gonna super avoid getting nerdy with boring stuff but they call what's they sell what's called a discounted rental stream to the bank that actually funds the transaction. And what I mean by that, so let's say you sign up for a 36-month lease or fi- whatever they call it, equipment, finance, agreement, lease, whatever. And they sell, so they they ask you for the first and last payment up front and they actually go and they sell a 34-month lease to the ultimate direct lender. And they keep that first and last payment. And that's where the word discount comes from. And now, that doesn't make a discounter good. It doesn't make a discounter bad. It just is. And here's what's funny. Like, you'll hear people talk about this. And I, I get asked a lot, well, how much money are you making? Why does anybody care how much money the broker does or doesn't make, or the discounter, or the funder, or anyone else. The only thing that matters is if you are financing equipment, you go and you get the equipment financer that works best for you, and you do the deal that works best for you on the terms that are best for you, whether the guy doing the deal is making $50 million off you, or if he's making 50 cents, none of that matters. Now, as to the question of whether you should work with a broker or a discounter or a funder or a direct lender or the Jolly Green Giant, here's one thing that does have an impact. And it's what I like to call, this is my own made-up word, but I call it money flow. And to be honest, newer or less sophisticated brokers have no idea what money flow is, nor do like a lot of the employees, even at the direct lenders. But the owners of a direct lender are all too familiar with it. And here's how it works. So uh, if you're really a direct lender, you need a constant flow of money. I mean, maybe you're sitting on a couple billion dollars. But for the most part in this industry, most funds, and when I say funds, I mean the actual money that's set aside to do the transactions – are relatively small and can be taken down pretty quickly if things get busy. And so you need a constant flow of money if you're lending your own money in order to fund your portfolio. And so think about this. So if you're just like a medium-sized company in the equipment leasing space, you may have 20 salespeople. And if the salespeople, depending on your marketplace, but I don't know, if the salespeople are any good at all, They're doing an average of $250,000 a month in deals. Like that's one guy doing, I don't know, $380,000 deals. And I mean, the way that'll work is you'll have a couple of guys that are doing a million plus and you'll have a bunch of guys that don't do anything and a few guys in the middle. But that's just, just the way the business works. And so if you've got 20 guys that are doing a quarter million dollars a month on average, that means that funding source or that direct lender has to have access to $5 million every single month. And so you you want to know what actually happens? It is kind of pretty funny to watch. So I'm going to make up a pretend company. We're, we're going to call the company something no one would call their company. So don't accidentally like trash talk on a company that actually exists. So we'll call them leasing dudes. And so in some months, leasing dudes will be waiting for their next infusion of, of money, of, of capital. And they're not going to tell the salespeople that. They never tell their salespeople or their brokers or anyone else, hey, we, we don't really have any money right now. And so the folks you're dealing with on the front line generally will have no idea and all they'll know is that for a short period of time, there'll be really dumb reasons why they can't get deals done that that should get done. And it doesn't matter what argument they make to their manager or the person in credit or anyone else, because they don't know, it's like poker, they don't know that the money to fund their deal doesn't actually exist. And, and so things will all of a sudden take longer, like you'd be expecting an answer back in four hours and it comes back four days later and you see, oh, well, Susan was on vacation or something lame like that. Now, at some, a certain point in the future, our friends at Leasing Dudes will all of a sudden get an infusion of money, right? The credit line came through or something else came through or they got another investor and all of a sudden they've got $10 million or $20 million on their books and they're flush with cash. And you know what? Leasing Dudes is paying interest on that money. And all of a sudden, all the leasing dude salespeople can get almost all of their deals funded, even the crazy ones that they're just kind of throwing at the wall, because maybe might be their lucky day. And they'll have no idea why it's all of a sudden easy. But when that money starts to tick down, all of a sudden it will get harder to do deals. And they'll get pissy and they'll start to blame credit or underwriting or whatever it's called in, in their organization. And... From your standpoint, I mean, you don't care about leasing dudes, right? You don't care how much commission their people make. You don't care if their deal gets done. But what you care about is that money flow can affect you and it can affect your customers. And now here's the thing about money flow. If you're dealing with a broker who's smart and... uh, there's a few of us in the business. You can certainly find brokers that, that know what's going on. We'll pay keen attention to money flow. And so when I get a call from somebody who's hungry for business, particularly if they're new, uh, like a new lender that's going after brokers, a lot of the time we'll find that they're really hungry for the deals. And I'll tell you what that means it means uh, not forever, because eventually they'll figure it out. But for a short period of time, their rates will be way too low. And they'll be doing deals that they should have no business approving. And so, and I don't care, right? It's not my job to make sure the lender manages portfolio so that he can put dollars in his pocket. As a broker, it's my job to find the best solutions for customers and sometimes that best solution is the dumbass that just got into the industry that thinks it's a wonderful industry and he's going to come out with lower rates than everybody else to build a great portfolio and you build your portfolio that way but you can have super heavy losses and the guys that have no experience in the business have no idea And someone's going to get good deals from that guy, so it might as well be the dudes we work with, right? And, you know, the other thing we'll see uh, is, like, experienced uh, funding sources or or direct lenders that all all of a sudden you know they must be sitting on a wad of cash, because in any given week or month, I mean, they couldn't care less if, if most of the brokers they deal with live or die, but all of a sudden... They're calling you aggressively and saying, hey, do you have a deal for me? We really want to do business with you. Oh, we've always wanted to work with you, Mr. Great Broker. You know they're sitting on cash. And you know there's heavy pressure on on whoever's calling you to get that money out, to get the, the deals off the street and get money in. And so you know for about a month sometimes you can get deals at cheaper rates or, or at least get – looser criteria and get deals done easier from that source. And so we uh, basically, if you've heard the terms throwing spaghetti at the wall to see if any of it sticks, we'll know which wall we can start throwing spaghetti at because we do look at a lot of different deals that are hard to get done, but you got someone who's really hungry. And all of a sudden it's like being at the bar at last call, right? All of a sudden, things don't look as bad as they would normally look. And so in some cases a strong broker can help you find these little market holes and exploit them. And right, it's not unethical at all. It's it's a free market. And so if a new funder is handing out approvals like they're candy, oh yeah, we're going to take advantage of that. And I mean the real question is would you rather be the victim of money flow or would you rather be the beneficiary of that that ebb and flow of money in and out of different lenders? And if you're working with one direct lender that has one program, like you're going to find months or weeks at least, or you may, I mean, I, it could be someone with, with hundreds of millions of dollars and no money problems, but that's rare. It's only a couple guys in the marketplace who wouldn't necessarily be the best Thunder for all of your business. And if, as particularly if you're shopping for the equipment, you, you want to work with someone who you know can get you to the best place, not just the program that they have. And so uh, I've actually been talking longer than I expected to talk. So I think we'll just do, I do have to read these two funny emails to you and discuss them, but I don't want their show to run for an hour. So we'll leave the questions to the next episode. So this first email I got this week was from a gentleman. Let's call him Ernie. He sent an email in response to an article I wrote about financing a commercial truck. And in that article I mentioned, there's three big deal killers that will, will keep you from being approved to finance a truck. And one of those deal killers is outstanding child support. If you owe money for your child support and you're not paying it, very, very few, pretty much no companies will actually extend financing to you. And so Ernie writes, I'm just going to read his email, the three big deal killers, some finance companies are saying that past due child support is a deal killer. Pretty soon, I'm going to start suing companies and making millions of dollars in judgments. Child support is against everybody's First Amendment constitutional right, which is freedom of religion. The law should not have even been made because it's against our constitutional rights. The government doesn't come after you for child support until a person wants to do what's right in God's eyes and move out of a house that he is living in with a woman he is unmarried to. No law can be made which impedes the free exercise of religion. So congratulations to our friend Ernie on his legal opinion. And here's what I have to say about this. So there's certain things that you can't and uh, and really honestly shouldn't ask somebody when you're deciding whether or not to do any sort of a finance deal, whether it's a loan or a lease, or whatever. You're not supposed to consider what nationality they are, which God they pray to, or whether or not they pray to the same God as you two, or any God at all, or whether they're in a wheelchair, or any of those other things. You're just supposed to look at the facts. And so the the first... Question I have to Ernie is if he did somehow win millions of dollars out of suing companies for requiring you to take care of your kids in order for them to lend you money. Now that he's a millionaire, would he actually go and support his children? Because that'd be a nice thing to do. And I'm not going to sit in judgment of anybody of of whether they have kids that are are married when they're married or or not married. Uh, that that's obviously none of my business and and not my place. But, you know, quite honestly, Ernie, if you made, if it's against your religion, and I guess it's it's against most religions to have babies with somebody that you haven't married, but I don't really think you write that wrong by leaving a single-parent household and not sending any money so the kids can eat. Probably... I don't know which God it is that you pray to. You didn't mention which one it was, but typically maybe God would be, your God would be happier if you righted that wrong by maybe getting married. And that's all I'm really going to say on that one. Um, It's really just for your amusement. So you can hear some of the crazy emails we get, but I'm not going to take them to task too hard. I, I, I didn't respond to this email when I was younger. way early in my career, I would have responded and got into argument. But as you get a little older, you you learn that acting like gorillas at the zoo and throwing poo at each other really doesn't make anybody money. And that's kind of what we're all in business to do. And so now here's the other email I got. So we have a few relationships with folks that will send us customers of theirs when their customers need to finance or lease equipment that, that aren't uh, equipment sellers, like CPAs or guys that do small business loans but really don't want to or don't understand the equipment financing space. And they'll send us deals. Um, and some of them are pretty cool. that And I really like some of the folks that, that I work with. But they'll send us deals that they don't want to work because they don't understand equipment and we'll split the commission with them. And that can sometimes work out well, but a lot of times, depending on the, the person you're dealing with, it, it doesn't work out so well. And I got in, I've been dealing with a folk, uh, a guy, I, I, I'll call him Mikey. I've been working with Mikey. Uh, work is a a strong word to use in this case, but we're working with Mikey for a a, a little over a year and uh, has been mostly a waste of time. And the guy's been kind of a jerk. So he sent me a deal and I sent him back this email. It was time to, to cut that relationship to an end. You know, sometimes you got to break up and breaking up. is never fun, but sometimes you got to do it. And so I sent Mikey an email, uh, Mikey, I've got around 20 deals from you in the past year, easily 12 approvals, and we closed one deal. You will get a customer approval for somebody with garbage credit and then whine to me about the rates. Or if your customer has asked for more information, you start whining. I'm really sorry. Uh, I hope you find what you're looking for, but I I don't have time for this. I'm not going to accept applications from you anymore, but good luck. And so... This is the nice gentlemanly email I've received from Mikey. And what I'm going to do, I've made a decision not to use any foul language in my podcast. So when I'm saying a word that I wouldn't be able to really say on the podcast, I'm going to use the word bleep. But you can pretty much figure out what bleep means. And so this is what this, this nice gentleman sent to me. Go bleep yourself you piece of bleep. This would have been a closed deal. Keep it small. Bleep, bleep. So, <laughs> and you know what you guys, this is an example of why uh, we tend to try to be careful about who we do business with. Not that I was offended. I actually thought it was pretty amusing, but a lot of times, a lot of these guys, not all of them, I deal with a lot of good guys, but some of these guys are kind of scummy. I mean, who sends an email like that to to anyone, but particularly somebody that might forage your email or talk about it on their podcast. Now, I'm not going to say his name. I wish him well. I, I'm not a hateful type person, and neither should you be. Never hate anybody. This is just a waste of your energy, but... Like you send that to the wrong guy, and like it, I don't know. Uh, let me let me mention though, because I, I, I do want to clarify something because we do get a lot of inquiries from equipment leasing brokers who don't know where to get their deals done and want to do business through Smarter Finance USA, and the answer is. Always know. if you're if your business is equipment leasing and you don't know how to do equipment leasing, we're not going to be a good fit for you. And um, I'll tell you why. First of all, I just want to plug uh, real quick uh, the couple of the associations that that uh, we belong to that are very beneficial. I belong to uh, two leasing organizations. One is the NAELB, uh, which is the National Association of Equipment Leasing Brokers and the NEF, National Equipment Finance Association. And if there's any brokers listening, particularly if you're new in the business, the first thing you want to do is get signed up with one or both of those organizations. And both of those organizations have extensive lists of direct lenders, funding sources, where you can get your deals done. And, you know, I go to at least Two, but usually three or four of the conventions a year, uh, because that's where you meet the people that that you can get your customers' deals done through, and it it doesn't cost like if you're a broker and you're not going to those things, you are really really missing out. And if you're a a, a vendor or a uh, uh, someone who is looking to finance equipment for your business and you ask somebody if they belong to the leasing associations or if they go to the the conferences, and they say no. Don't do business with them. It, there's one of two things: is the good thing about those organizations is the guys that are really slimy, like they can't police everybody. But the guys that really do rough stuff, stuff they shouldn't be doing, they typically get kicked out of those organizations that's not to say it's a fail safe there's no way for them to to root out everybody who's not 100 on the up and up but but it's a good sign but the the other thing is so it doesn't even cost that much money to go to those conferences i'll go to to one and like so the the association if you're not part of the naelb and you're a broker you're crazy like it's a i think it's a couple hundred bucks maybe it's three hundred dollars a year and then if you go to one of the, the conferences where you meet all the guys that will get your deals done, who are pretty cool, by the way, I think the last one, like the regionals, might be a hundred and ninety-five dollars, and the 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 one that comes around every year, it might be four hundred bucks, and they typically put you up in a nice hotel for a hundred dollars a night, and so maybe you either drive or do plane it maybe costs $1,200, $1,500 to go. And I can't think of a single event or conference that I went to that I didn't receive $1,500 worth of value by meeting somebody that could help me, help my customers get more business and thereby, uh, or get more deals done and thereby uh, help move my business forward. And so if you're too... Like if you if you if you're not willing to spend twelve hundred dollars or whatever to move your business forward, like we're not going to be the best fit for you. I'm sorry. And the other thing that we see from these guys it, here's the bigger problem: is you'll run into guys that can't get approved by any funding sources, and typically, like they won't tell you the reason why. But you'll find that the reason why I found this out the hard way very early and just stopped doing business with guys that would give up half their commission because no one would work with them is usually it's because they're criminals. I had a couple of guys that were sending me deals that, yeah, were pretty sketchy. So back to Mikey. Good luck, Mikey. I hope you find somebody that will put up with you. And we'll deal with almost no deals getting done and their funding sources wasting their time on garbage deals and not having them move forward. Anyway, that's about all I got. Um, We're really uh, going. I I try to keep all the podcasts under 30 minutes and we are, uh, I think we're well over that. So I'll talk to you next week, guys, and uh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Smarter Business Finance Podcast with your host, Rob Michela. Online at SmarterFinanceUSA.com, Twitter at SmarterFinanceU, and on Facebook.com slash SmarterFinanceUSA. We'll catch you next time.